this episode, Once Upon the Brave and the Bold. Hello, and welcome to the Once Upon a Geek podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On today's episode, we are finding our joy by discussing a fantastic issue of the Brave and the Bold comic book from 2010, specifically an issue that teams up Green Lantern Hal Jordan with the original Dr. Fate Kent Nelson. Now, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I am not doing this alone. For this episode, I have brought along an old buddy of mine. We have been friends going on 20 years now, which is crazy. Uh, we met because of our mutual fandom of Firestorm. He's also a massive Hal Jordan fan and an authority, if you can call it that, on fictional DC Universe sports teams. And finally, I can personally attest that he's a grumpy old curmudgeon. Folks, please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Kichi Baker. How you doing, buddy? Yay! <laughs> I'm still going to play the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going real good. Thanks for being here. This is exciting. We've been talking about trying to figure out how to get you on the Once Upon a Geek show for a while now, and this just sort of yes. stumbled into my lap. You, you've really been talking about this? I thought you were purposefully avoiding me. Well, I mean, that's just a general rule over the past 20 years, but you kept messaging <laughs> me and bugging me, so I count that as, you know, discussing, so that's fair. Yeah, not to mention holding the uh, boombox outside your bedroom window. <laughs> That old chestnut again. So <laughs> I, well, coming at this issue for, uh, and I'm going to explain JLMA in just a second, knowing that we were going to do this issue with Green Lantern and Dr. Fate, I was sitting there racking my brain because I'm a huge, huge Dr. Fate fan. And I'm thinking, who else do I know that I could get to do this episode with me? I, I kept thinking Dr. Fate fans. And the minute I flipped the script and thought, well, what about Hal Jordan fans? Boom. You're the first person that came to mind in my circle of close friends who loves Hal Jordan. I mean, just grossly loves Hal Jordan. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't grossly love him. I mean, I li I love him as a character and as the best Green Lantern that was ever created. That's all. So you started day drinking already, huh? Okay, right. <laughs> Well, before we talk about the characters, I should explain, folks, this episode is part of the JL May 2023 podcast crossover event. What that means, there is over 25 different podcasts participating. What we're doing is we're celebrating the Brave and the Bull comic series that ran from 2007 to 2010, which started with a creative team of Mark Wade and George Perez and ended that run with a creative team of J. Michael Straczynski and Jesus Sayas. And it is an amazing series. Absolutely love it. And a a lot of us podcasters are fans of us. We said, let's get together and cover them all in the month of May, which we call JL May. So uh, very, very excited to be here. Now, let's get into these specific characters and our connections to it. So Keith, you know, Hal Jordan, he's your guy. So tell me, what is your personal origin story with Hal Jordan? How'd you fall in love with the character and, and what do you love about him? Well, I mean, it's kind of weird because I don't ever remember Hal Jordan not being around. He was kind of always there along with Barry Allen and Clark Kent and you know Bruce Wayne and all of them. He, he was just there. And I had to look back to see uh, what my first Green Lantern comic was. And it was during that Green Lantern, Green Arrow time during the 70s. So mm -hmm. I, could, I couldn't have been more than six. I mean, I guess I just like, you know, the pictures of him flying around and, you know, Hal was just there. I, I, it's it's boring. And that's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just continued reading him. He, he became a, a staple with me. It was it was him and, and the Flash and, you know, the Justice League. If, if I wanted to see any of the other characters, every now and then I'd pick up a Superman comic or something. I was never really into Batman or anything like that at the time. But yeah, Hal was just always there. I was, was reading about him when he finally went back to space. And when the crisis came around, you know, he, he was temporarily not Green Lantern. But, you know, all that time, that was that was six to, you know, 15 or whatever. Those are formative years. So, he, yeah, like I said, it's it's a boring secret origin story. Of me, <laughs> me and Al's love affair. But <laughs> but I guess that, that that's pretty much it. So any huge highlight eras for you that if, if someone came to you and said, hey, you know, I think it's how the Jordan guy is interesting. I want to read something. What would you recommend to someone to dive into? What era of how? Oh, my favorite era of how was during the 80s, because that's what I read. Going back and reading it, as people have said that it's boring, but I, I don't think it is. I think it was just developing the character during that time. But if if a new person was going to dive in to Hal Jordan right now, you know, Rebirth is a good place to do it. Um, it, it was a good story when it came out and brought him back and uh, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, uh, Emerald Dawn is good if if they want something that's collected in a trade. I would think I'll co-sign Emerald Dawn. I think that's a great entry point for people with Hal. It's kind of was mine. Oh, really? Yeah. I previously did a, another podcast with Derek Crab on on that, and uh, we talked about Emerald Dawn. So for me, thanks for asking. Uh, I remember Hal Jordan from the Super Friends, and like his voice, oh, like the voice on the Super Friends for Hal Jordan in my head is still Hal Jordan's voice. It always will be. Oh yeah, that that deep voice, yeah, deep commanding voice. Yeah, yeah, he was great. And then I don't like. I remember, like you said, he was just kind of around. Like I'd pick up a JLA issue or something. I remember him being there, but I didn't really uh, engage or care about the character until I read Emerald Dawn. I should say I picked up some of the Green Lantern core issues, the ones with Kilowog and stuff like that during the eighties. But yeah. Hal wasn't the star. I mean, it was a it was a ensemble cast, so I was more interested in what was going on with Salik or Kilowog or Guy Gardner or whatever. So for me, it wasn't until Emerald Dawn that I finally started caring, and I really loved Emerald Dawn. I loved Emerald Dawn too. I loved that ongoing series through the nineties that was it, when it started. It was really good, but then it turned at least for me personally, it turned really boring really fast. You know, once you get to past issue twenty something or so, it got dreadfully boring. And I think it's just a matter of the writer was stretched too thin because he was writing like, I don't know, 20 titles of DC or something at that point. And so that particular Green Lantern book where Hal was the star, because, you know, Guy had moved off to his own book and John Stewart had moved off to his own book. So it was mainly Hal at that point. I just found it dreadfully boring. So I actually dropped the Green Lantern title because I was so sick of, I I don't care about the Predator anymore. I don't want to read this. So I I quit right before Hal went crazy, right before Emerald Twilight. So I actually had to come back to the book. And so in my mind, unfortunately, Hal is tied up with that word again. Third time it's come up on the show, boredom. So Hal doesn't really light my fire. So for me, Kyle is my favorite Green Lantern, but that's not what we're... Yeah, we're not not here to talk about that alley rat, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so we should mention by the way if you are a green lantern fan you should definitely check out chad and mark's the lantern cast which is also part of jl may so uh they do put together a great show and they've been covering all aspects of green lantern over many many years now my turn to talk about dr fate i love me some dr fate especially the classic dr fate so near as i can remember Probably my first exposure to the character would have been uh, JLA-171. That's one of those annual JLA-JSA team-ups where Mr. Terrific was murdered. That's a good one. Spoiler alert, sorry. And that's probably the first time I saw Dr. Fate, and he was used to sort of illustrate the differences between Earth-1 and Earth-2 because there wasn't one on Earth-1. And so I, I was sort of fascinated by the character. And then I, then I come to Crisis, and, you know, he was in there a little bit. But the place where I really, really noticed him was superpowers. So uh, you remember there was the toy line superpowers, but there's also the comic books. So, oh, yeah. I, so I bought the second run, the second series of superpowers, um, because Firestorm was in there. But Dr. Fate was in there, too. And I remember the Easter Island adventure, like, just really vividly stuck out in my mind. Like, wow, this dude is really cool. It sort of blew my mind, though. I was very confused, though, because I'm like, he's from Earth, too. What's he doing hanging out with the, the Firestorm in them? I don't understand. Either way. <laughs> really, really gelled with me. Somewhere along the line, I picked up one of the Kenner action figures of Dr. Fate from Superpowers. It was a used one. Didn't have the cape or whatever. But so I used to love that thing. I'd carry it around with me wherever I went. Yeah, I still have mine. So. Yeah. And then J.M. DiMatteis, right? He does the Dr. Fate series, the ongoing. First the miniseries, then the ongoing series. I got into that uh, probably, I don't know, I talked about it on the JLI podcast when I got in. It's, it's a few issues in. Once Wotan showed up and the crossover with the JLI, that's when I dropped in Dr. Fate. And oh my gosh, I went all in at that point. I bought every back issue I could find. I bought every Dr. Fate thing I could get my hands on. I became a massive fan at that point. And I, I always have it. I just love the classic Dr. Fate. And I'm not sure I can quantify what it is that I love about Dr. Fate. Uh, obviously, his look is totally badass. I mean, he's got one of the greatest costume designs in comics. It just looks so cool. You like um, him because he's shiny. It's shiny. Shiny's always good. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and normally, I hate magic-powered characters because magic is always sort of the, the catch-all, get-out-of-anything in comics. It's like, oh, no, there's this huge thing. Well, I just happen to know the right spell if I work hard enough to beat the bad guy. And you're like... That that doesn't make any sense. That just came out of left field. Well, it, it, to be honest, the Green Lantern ring is kind of the same. So. Yeah, that's true. 
if I just have enough will to get out of this. Oh, that beloved emotion, will. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I should mention also, by the way, uh, Ed Moore also does a great Dr. Fate podcast. It's called Lords of Order at the Dr. Fate Podcast. You should check that out if you're a Dr. Fate fan. And uh, speaking of uh, podcasts and Dr. Fate, I've, I've talked about Dr. Fate a few times on Fire and Water Podcasts, specifically talking about the single greatest Dr. Fate comic of all time, which is DC First Issue Special Number 9 by Marty Pasco and Walt Simonson. If you've never read that, folks, I, I, please seek it out. It is incredible. I think I've covered it three times on our network now. I'm not sure. <laughs> I just love it so much. It's a great book. So what about you? Is like Dr. Fate, is a character you like or not? Well, yeah, Dr. Fate I always liked because that meant that JSA was showing up. That's, mm. that, was, you know, that was always cool read, reading uh, Justice League, you know, the JLA-JSA crossover time. It was that time of year, you know, if Dr. Fate shows up. And, and you know, he was always there. I think it, for a lot of reasons, what you said is his costume is just so cool and so different from any of the other characters that were in the JLA at the time. Yeah. Um, Dr. Fate, I, I continued with, you know, him being in crisis in the superpowers line. I, I, I was all in on that. The Dr. Fate series, though, um, that was around the time I stopped reading comics was because I, I remember reading it to start off with and then the 90s hit and I, and I wasn't reading comics anymore. But I've, I've gone back and tried to read it. Mm-hmm. And I just I know this is something that we don't normally talk about, you know, when we're talking about uh, Green Lantern, but it's just so creepy with the uh, age difference in the in those two characters in that Doctor oh, series. Sure, sure. That's just you know I, I couldn't get past that. Understand if you if you keep going with the series, uh, you're talking about the stepson and the stepmother who kind of end up in a romantic relationship, which is a little weird. But if you keep going into the series later, you find out they're actually old souls that have followed each other through millions of, or not many, but many many reincarnated lives, and so it becomes a very beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And just I, to, old souls in a in a pederast and a kid's body. <laughs> That's... Okay. Anyway, moving on. So uh, I love that series. Thank you. The series but, after but, that. But, but I do love Dr. Fate. But I, I, you said that you like the classic Dr. Fate. I like the classic Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson. You know, just him and Naboo always arguing with each other. You know what's disappointing? And Chris Franklin pointed this out to me one time, and it, I've never been able to get out of my head since, is that we all love, everybody loves the look and, and sort of that appeal of the original Kent Nelson, Naboo, Dr. Fate. Everyone does. And in all of the various Dr. Fate series they've ever given us, and there's been several, we have never gotten an ongoing series that is just the Kent Nelson, Naboo, Dr. Fate. I mean, the closest we ever had was the Golden Age stories with, um, you know, in more fun comics that you know, was in the 1940s, but we've yeah. never had a contemporary ongoing series that's just the Dr. Fate everyone wants to read about. It's always some other version of him. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't get that either. I mean, it's, it's so simple. I mean, you know, you have an ancient wizard who he kills a guy's dad and then you know <laughs> a little bit of a twisted story there but just put the guy, yeah. put the man in a costume put the helmet on him and just let him go you know tell some great stories take take that Walt Simonson uh, Marty Pasco as a template and just build from there I would love to see one that's set like in the 40s or something like that that'd be pretty yeah. cool by the way about Green Lantern I did forget to say so yes I, I've always kind of felt how it was boring but I've always been fascinated by the power the idea of the ring like even as a little kid watching Super Friends and in my head here's how much I like Green Lantern and not Hal Jordan. In my head, I would make up stories about all the way back in like, you know, the 1980s, the Blue Lantern. Because first of all, blue is my favorite color, not green when I was a kid. So I thought it'd be better <laughs> if it was blue. I wanted it to be a Blue Lantern and somebody else, even when I was a kid. And, you know, Jeff Johns was just tapping my imagination, I guess, as he got in later with all the, the Skittles colored lanterns. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, we're not we're not going to talk about the Rainbow Lanterns. So. <laughs> I, I'll pass on that talk other than to say... I, I hung in there as long as I could with the multicolored lanterns, and when I realized that the Rainbow Raider wasn't showing up, I kind of got out. So. <laughs> hey, I will still stand by the Sinestro Corps War. That was amazing. All right. Well, yeah, th- yeah, that started out great, but then when they started, you know, opening up the whole all the different marshmallow flavors or whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, because we could fall down it, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of Once Upon a Geek is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for comic book trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode will select a comic collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library, and it's usually it's, it's tied into our discussion in some way, shape, or form that makes sense to us. In my case, I picked Justice League of America, the Silver Age trade paperback volume 
Volume 3. And the reason I picked this one is because it features both Hal Jordan and the original Dr. Fate. Woohoo! Because it includes the uh, Justice League America number 20 through 23, which includes Crisis on Earth 1 and Crisis on Earth 2, which is the first JLA-JSA team-up. So publishers DC Comics, written by Gardner Fox, art by Mike Sikowski. The cover art on this thing's by Michael Cho, and it's really cool. And uh, page count is 296 pages. It's full color. It's a soft cover. If you've never read these classic stories, especially the first meeting between the JLA and the JSA, I highly recommend you pick it up. It, it's a, it's integral to the history of the JLA, and it's a lot of fun. The uh, normal retail price is $24.99, but you can get it for 42% off right now, so it's only $14.49. Now, Keith, what'd you pick, buddy? You know, I just realized what's throwing me off. I normally, I normally listen to podcasts with you on them at 1.7 speed. <laughs> I listen to everything at two times speed. So everybody sounds like they're talking underwater when I'm having an actual conversation with them. It drives me crazy. Yeah, underwater or like six drinks in or something. I, I, <laughs> I could talk a lot faster if you'd like me to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what'd you bring, buddy? Okay, uh, what I decided to go with was the uh, Top Ten Compendium. Uh, it's written by Alan Moore and uh, artist Gene Ha, and there's several other uh, writers and artists on some of the uh, stories in here. It says here, it, this is a sci-fi epic following the exploits of the police officers in Precinct 10, or Top Ten, as they contend with science aliens and super crimes in the vast city of Neapolis and beyond. So this collects uh, the first 12 issues and some of the uh, one-shots and specials that uh, went along with that series. So it, this is being published by DC. Uh, cover artist on, on, on the issues were, was Alex, Alex Ross, too. It's a um, page count of uh, 832. Whoa! And yeah, it's full. It's a compendium. So I, compendium means huge book stop. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's full color. It's hardcover. And it was fifty nine ninety nine. but in stock trades, uh, you say 42% and, uh, it's thirty four seventy nine, which I think is a, is a steal for this thing. Uh, the reason I picked top 10 as a series is, uh, I mean, these are super cops, which is basically what the Green Lantern Corps is. And, you know, at first I started looking for something that collected the old World's Finest 201 where they first met or, mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, or had a had, had a first dealings together. Or I was going to do one of those crises on multiple Earths trades. Or, uh, but I decided to go with, you know, a little bit off the uh, beaten path and go with the uh, idea of space cops. And these are... Su- is a story of super cops and it's, and it's pretty good. I read it when it was coming out. Dude, top 10 is so stinking good. I mean, first of all, Alan Moore is like at the top of his game with creating ideas. And then you get Gene Ha's art, which is just off the chart. I mean, it is so stinking good. That is a great pick, Keith. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, Alan Moore wrote a bunch of really good Green Lantern stuff. So you can kind of tie it in that way too. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're so smart. That is hey, uh, edit, a, that, edit that part out. That is a fact, though. Yeah, that was uh, that was factual. So, <laughs> folks, for these and all your other comic book trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support because you know running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses, so we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So, if you're enjoying shows on the network, the best way to support these shows is by visiting our Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash. FW Podcast. And while you're there, please consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network. And at certain tiers, you get mentioned on your favorite shows. This episode with special thanks go out to David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, so folks, what I need you to do is I need you to go out on the social medias and represent because we need the whole geeky community involved here to celebrate the things we love, including Brave and the Bold, Green Lantern, and maybe not Hal Jordan, uh, Dr. Fate, you know, whatever your feelings are, get out there and let us know. The best way to be part of the conversation is in our comment section on our website. There you can just visit firewaterpodcast.com slash onceuponageek and leave your thoughts on the show post for this episode. You can also find us on Twitter as Once Upon a Geek or on Facebook and Instagram as Once Upon a Geek Podcast. And for those of you that do share your thoughts on the website, I will be reading portions of your feedback every fifth episode of Once Upon a Geek. If you're not keeping track, this is the 11th episode of Once Upon a Geek, so you got a little bit of time to get your feedback in before we get to the 15th episode. Wait, hang on. I'm counting fingers. i got to take my shoes off. <laughs> That's what happens when you're from North Carolina, folks. <laughs> Says the guy with the Florida education. Anyway, so, uh, so <laughs> Keith, J.L. May, are you familiar with it? I've uh, never heard of it. What, okay. what are you talking about again? 
<laughs> no, this... no, 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 no. I know all about it. It's a, it's a, it's a crossover. It's a, it's, it's one of those uh, crossover events. Exactly, just like Crisis on Infinite Earths. So, in the spirit <laughs> of comic book team ups, years ago we decided to do podcast team ups. So, we every May, well, almost every May, we do a big crossover called JL May. This goes all the way back to 2016. So, uh, just rattling off the ones we've done. In 2016, we did JLA Year One, which was so damn good. 2017, we did Alex Ross's Justice. Then 2018, we did Silver Age. Okay, we don't always pick winners. 2019, we picked Black as Night. 2020, we did Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And 2021, we did something different. We decided to do Marvel instead. So we did a Merry Marvel March, Marching Society podcast crossover on Acts of Vengeance. We took 2022 off, and now we're back for 2023 covering Brave in the Bold. So if you're here last week, you would have heard the Aquaman and Firestorm, the Firewater podcast, covering Brave of the Bold number 32 with Aquaman and the Demon. And also come back next week on Sunday, and the Justice League International Bwahaha podcast will be covering Brave of the Bold number 23 with Booster Gold and Magog. So beyond just the shows on the Firewater Podcast Network, as I said, there's like 25 or more different shows participating. So they're not all going to be released in order, but we are trying to cover every issue of Brave and the Bold. So please go out there, check out all of our other podcasty friends. We're going to rattle off their names real quick here. So be sure to go out and look for the JL May crossover episodes of the Overlooked Dark Knight. Are they all going to have the little diamond with the number in the corner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all following the Superman numbering from the, from the 80s. It's exactly right. Well done, sir. Uh, so, all right, this is going to include The Overlooked Dark Knight, Dial F for Flanger, The Bat Pod, Legion Podcast, The Legion Project, Teal Productions, The Right On Network, Justice Trek, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, Long Box Crusade, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Married with Comics, Superman in Crisis, The Lantern Cast, Podcast of Oa, Rolled Spine, Wait a minute, you're doing something with these guys? It wasn't my choice. I, I, I got vetoed, so. Uh, Weird Warriors, Magazines and Monsters, Head Speaks. Coffee and Comics, Waiting for Doom, Fan Holes Podcast. As you can see, folks, there are tons of folks participating, covering. Again, I'm pretty sure we've nailed every issue of the Brave and the Bold series from 2007 to 2010. It's super exciting to be part of this, and I'm just thrilled to be in here. And if you want to follow along on social media, you can check the hashtag JLMay2023. That's JLMay2023. That should be able to link you to pretty much all the posts. All right, so we are going to take a quick podcast promo break at this point, and then when we come back, we are going to finally talk about The Brave and the Bold, number 30, starring Green Lantern and Dr. Fate. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe, the origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. The Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty the Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
All right. So we are going to dive into Brave and the Bold. So I got to ask you, Keith, you know, do you have a history with the Brave and the Bold comics? Uh, my history of Brave and the Bold is not a lot, actually. Um, with the first volume, I, it was never something that I actively sought out as a kid. I wasn't really that into Batman. I mean, a lot of the uh, the issues that I have, if I picked it up, it was it was because it had another character that I was interested in, like the Flash or Firestorm yeah. or, the, or the Earth 2 Batman. Any mm. of those Earth 2 stories, like the one with Earth 2 Robin's suit on the front, I was like, oh, that looks kind of like Robin. That that looks like it'll be a cool story. <laughs> but I mean, I went I went to see just how many I had, and I have like maybe less than 10, 10 of them, man. I got like him and Green Arrow, you know, but I think I mainly got it at that time in my life because Batman's riding a horse. I wanted to see what that was about. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But yeah, as far as uh, the first volume, not not that much. And then uh, the second volume, I didn't even know about because I, I wasn't reading comics at the time. But that was, I think, a mini series that was like a Mike Grell thing uh, with Green Arrow and the Question in it. And the Butcher, so, yeah, yeah. It was it was a little obscure. I mean, I was working in comic shops when we were selling it, and it just uh, while the quality may have been there, it didn't really light a lot of people's uh, interest. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I completely missed out on that. But then uh, I was reading comics again when that Brave and the Bold Flash and Green Lantern mini came out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, of course I was picking that up. It had Flash and Green Lantern, and I was reading comics again at the time. It was was a natural pickup for me. Well, and it was Mark Wade, Tom Payer, and Barry Kitson. I mean, what a heck of a power combination. That was a great little run there. Yeah, it sure was. And then when this, the latest one, or I guess it was the latest because it started, what, in 07 or 08? Yep, uh, 2007 to 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when that started up, it was a natural pickup for me, too, you know, just because it was Perez. I was going to pick that up, and it was way... Yeah. I remember being a little unhappy at the price tag, because it was a little... I want to say it was a little more expensive than the other, you know, comics on the shelf at that point, but it came with, like, a, a harder, you know, cardboardy cover or stuff like that. But, yeah, it's, it's Mark Wade and George Perez. We're not going to say no to that. Yeah, and then, exactly. And, and then J. Michael Straczynski takes it over later, right, with G, uh, Jesus Sayas and... I love the Mark Wade Perez stuff. I do. But I kind of feel like just rereading some of these that maybe the, the Straczynski stuff's a little bit better. Just because he did a lot of standalone stories and just each one just kind of sings. It was we're gonna we're gonna praise this issue up front, just so you guys know. And I they're they're really beautiful. They're gorgeously drawn, the story's powerful. I, I think I may actually like the back half of the run better. Yeah, the Straczynski stuff, it makes you think more. Yeah. You know, it makes you think more, it hits you in the feels a little bit more. Um, whereas, you know, Wade and Perez, basically what they were trying to do was bring in all the old guys like us who didn't like a lot of the changes that, that <laughs> had been going on at DC. Mm-hmm. And they were banking on nostalgia. So it was, it was just action, you know, nostalgia, bringing back characters in their traditional uniforms that we were used to seeing up from before. You know, they're... Stuff like stuff like that. Uh, I, th- I think it was more serving that purpose, and then, like you said, once it switched over to to Straczynski, it was a, it was a whole different reason for writing. I think, and more contained stories. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Uh, and for my own history, thanks for asking. Uh, similarly, I, I also missed the original Brave and the Bold, I, and just like you, I, the only issues I bought were the ones that had my characters. Like I own the Firestorm issue, the Doctor Fate issue, things like that. And then, because uh, as a kid, I was more into Marvel Team Up, and even some DC Comics Presents. That was more my jam when I was looking oh, yeah, for Team Marvel Up. Marvel Two and One, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, see, I, I was strictly Marvel Team Up. Loved the Spider Man stuff. And then, uh, like you, I bought those miniseries and stuff like that. And um, I think, truthfully, my love of the classic Brave and the Bold series came after starting the Fire and Water podcast. You know, Rob and I would talk about various issues and Jim Aparo, and I really dove in deeper. And while I don't own them, I was I was reading them digitally, you know, on, on various platforms and things like that. And now I've read a ton of them, and they're fun. They're great. But uh, yeah, I think I think this era, though the the 2007 to 2010 is the one that really starts uh, sets my passion aflame. Oh yeah, so I guess diving into those back issues. You just fell in love with the Silent Night, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the early Brave and the Bolds before Batman was ever in the book when the Silent Knight, who probably shouldn't have any caption balloons. Uh, yeah, that's totally where my jam was. Yeah, yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> All right, let's get into this one. Folks have waited long enough. This is Brave and the Bold number 30 with Green Lantern and Dr. Fate, published by DC Comics. Cover date of February 2010 was on the shelves December 16th, 2009. Cover price was $2.99. The page count was 22 pages of story, and the cover is by Jesus Sayas, and it is beautiful. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it real quickly. You've got uh, uh, across the top, it says lost stories of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Then you've got the Brave and the Bulls, kind of a nice trade dress across the top. You've got Green Lantern, 
Stern's logo current from the time. Then you've got Dr. Fate's kind of classic logo from, I think, the 70s, if I remember right. And then you've got, in the foreground, is Hal Jordan's power battery. And Hal is, looks like maybe he's been charging his ring or something like that. He's in the background. And emerging from the battery, literally like a, like a gas, like a vapor, is this form of Dr. Fate, who's sort of materializing. So, uh, buddy, you talk about this, though, because you've got some, uh, some great observations about this cover. The main thing that I just noticed just looking at this hole like, like this is Green Lantern looking at something coming out of his uh, battery or watching his battery explode. Basically, him interacting with something to do with the battery is kind of a, in my head, is kind of a trope to a lot of the Green Lantern covers of the past. You know, there's always something going on with it. Like either it's it's exploding and killing Guy Gardner, <laughs> even, though, even though on the cover it's showing Hal in the explosion. You know, which is kind of a bait and switch or or a betrayal, as Stella would say. But uh, <laughs> that and then there's like a classic Green Lantern Green Arrow where um, Green Arrow is coming out of a power battery and he's you know made of yellow energy or whatever. But that's just kind of what it reminded me of looking at it. I don't know if that's the Dr. Fate logo of old. Uh, we'd have to do some research on that. It just looks like they just did like block lettering there for him. And they used the new Green Lantern logo, which I, I would have liked one of the old, older ones, but that's just me. Well, I, I think that Dr. Fate logo, and I, 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 this is all off the top of my head, folks, so I could be way wrong. I want to say that's the same logo that appeared in the issue that Dr. Fate was in Brave and the Bold all those years ago with Batman. Oh. I think that was the same logo. But, you know, Keith, if you think about it, you've got the classic Dr. Fate rep- logo, which represents the classic Dr. Fate at yeah. this point, because this is the old Dr. Fate. And then you've got Hal Jordan in the current costume, and that's the current logo. So the, the logos being old and new kind of work with the story. I can see that. But, uh, you know, as far as the logos go, I, I think the image kind of kind of, kind of dominates this cover yeah. anyway. Just, just Dr. Fate jumping out, looking like he's about to try and take a punch at, at Hal for some reason. <laughs> well, look at that cape. I mean, the way Jesus Sayas has drawn the, and I don't even know if I'm saying this guy's name right, guys. I'm just taking my best shot at it. But the way he's drawn the cape and how the cape is sort of materializing, it's like it's it's forming as we're seeing it happen. And the coloring on it, it's like a painted sort of uh, digital coloring. The helmet's shiny. There's all the shading on Kent's torso. Damn, this looks like a cool cover. It just really, really is exceptional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely, and, and both of the characters look perfect. Look like you would expect them to look. Yeah, and that orange background color really sets off the blue in Doctor Fate, and the green and Hal sets them off nicely as a contrasting color. Looks fantastic. Oh yeah, anytime you see Green Lantern on a cover and there's a bunch of yellow, you know that he's in trouble. It's, 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 <laughs> well, let's get into this. So the writer is J. Michael Straczynski, artist is Jesus Sayas, letter is Rob Lee, colorist is Brian Miller, and the editor is Joey Cavallari. And this issue itself is entitled. The Green and the Gold, which is a nice play on the blue and gold. So, all right, I'll do the recap real quick, and then we'll dive into the discussion. Our story starts off sometime in the past, specifically during Justice League International number 7. Dr. Fate, who's Kent Nelson, witnesses the Gray Man being erased by the Lords of Order. Then, pondering his own existence, Dr. Fate retires into space to meditate on the situation. And as fate would have it, while in uh-huh. orbit, uh-huh, Dr. Fate encounters Hal Jordan as he's leaving for Oa. So Hal talks to Dr. Fate, checking in on his friend, before leaving and sharing a handshake. A handshake that proves very fateful. Uh-huh. See that? See what, yeah, see what I did there? Twi- yeah, you used it twice. <laughs> Good. You, did you take your shit off to count for that? All right, so... Then we jump forward in time many, many years, and Hal is now on a distant, lifeless planet fighting for his life against deadly yellow robots, and the energy of his ring is almost exhausted. So Hal tries to leave the planet, but the poison in his blood affects him enough that he can't sustain the, the willpower to break orbit, and he comes plummeting back to the surface and passes out. So Hal asks his ring to locate the nearest power source, hoping to harness that energy to help him. And his ring oddly responds, quote, within this ring. Within the ring? What? Bizarrely, the original Dr. Fate appears, pouring out from inside Hal's own ring. It turns out that when Hal and Dr. Fate shook hands all those years ago, Dr. Fate sent a fraction of himself into Hal's ring. In sort of a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey kind of way, Dr. Fate used that opportunity to send a piece of himself to the future to see how his own life turned out and planned on recalling that piece back to the past. Uh, The heroes discuss this whole turn of the events, and Hal explains to Kent Nelson that by this time in the future, or the present, depending on how you look at it, either way, at this point, both Kent Nelson and his wife Inza are dead, sadly. 
So Hal's still in life-threatening danger, right? So Dr. Fate has to make a choice. This, this shard of Dr. Fate's energy, he has just enough power to, to briefly sustain Hal and then return to Dr. Fate's own body in the past and pass along what he learned in the future. However, he can't do all that if he expends any more energy battling those attacking robots and protecting Hal. So bottom line, this shadow of Dr. Fate, he's got to choose between saving Hal Jordan today or saving himself and his wife in the past. He can't do both. So then we get a big discussion where Hal encourages Dr. Fate to return to the past so he can change his fate using his knowledge of the future. And we get some pretty exceptional dialogue between the characters. You know, Dr. Fate accepts that his path is predestined. You know, the whole concept of fate. And Hal is arguing that Dr. Fate can go back and change the past with his strength of, well, you know, will. Get it? Fate and will. And uh, it's really, it's a fascinating contrast of their personal philosophies. Ultimately, Dr. Fate accepts that his fate has brought him here to save Hal. With the last remaining power, Dr. Fate transports Green Lantern all the way back to Oa safely. And the shadow of Dr. Fate says, be well, my friend, and then dissipates into nothing. Way back in the past, the real Dr. Fate, he's waiting for this sliver of power to return, but it doesn't. The story ends with Fate thinking that we cannot change the starting and ending points of our lives, but we can focus on the part in between. Live to the fullest in service of those that we love and experience joy. And he says, not a bad deal, really, if you think about it. Not a bad deal at all. Whew, man, powerful, powerful stuff. So why don't you tell me your thoughts, buddy, and I'll chime in behind you. When you gave me this and, and asked me to go back and read this for this podcast, I was like, I was like, man, I don't really remember a lot about that series. And man, read, reading this again for the first time, it was, I think I sent you a message right after I did it, thanking you for making me go back and read this. Hmm. It's such a good self-contained story that just, I, I think it hit, hit on everything, dude. It's, it is so powerful. And the only thing I really remembered about it going into it was that I enjoyed it and that it was uh, Dr. Fate from the past. That's all I could remember. And then when I started reading it, I'm like, holy crap, this is from Justice League International, which you know I do a whole other podcast on. I could have covered this issue over there, I suppose. You do another podcast? I, I do. I do. Once in a while. But uh, When did that start? <laughs> March 2016, if you'd like to know. Oh. Anyway, so <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> huh. So anyway, uh, and it was just such a joy to read. I mean, the story is so good. Now, there's there's a part in the middle where it gets probably, I hate to say too talky, but it's it gets really, really talky in the middle of this action, but I don't care. It is yeah. so worth it. Yeah, man. It's three whole pages of them talking, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But, you know... Like I've told you before, I'm I'm more of a writer type guy, and mm-hmm. just just reading three pages of them talking and just discussing their two different sides of their argument that they're having was it was real good, yeah. Yeah, it boils down to like we said, the philosophy of Doctor Fate saying, "This is my fate. This is what I have to do. My my hit my actions are predestined." And Hal's arguing, "No, you have free choice." And he's and of course he's all basing it around will, which is willpower, which is his thing. And it's such an interesting way. I never would have thought of these two characters in that capacity of will versus destiny, of destiny versus fate, or whatever. I'm sorry, destiny versus willpower. Well, I mean, yeah, determinism versus free will is there. You go. St- is is stuff that has been discussed among people since the dawn of man, since the very first time, you know, we, we decided to put a fig leaf on or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this book gets super deep on, on stuff like that. And, and like you said, I didn't realize it either till I till I read this, but it jumped out at the page at me this time was that they do represent the two sides of their, those philosophies. There is the determinism or the fate, and then there is the will, the the actual free will. I don't know that either of these these guys are extreme, so we could we could devote a whole three hour discussion on conventional determinism versus a hard determinism, but. You know, it all depends on what, what what we want to talk about. If we want to start talking about this, or <laughs> well, I don't think we have time for a three hour discussion. And quite frankly, you're already beyond me in the textbook knowledge of this stuff. I mean, I just know like the 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 guts feeling of fate versus choice. You know, you you know the actual you know correct terminology and everything. So hats off to you, sir. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's just because I, I I read Jack. You know. I, I, I don't <laughs> 
Oh God! It's, it's not that hard. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just think it's fascinating that whole argument that they have from page sixteen to eighteen is just the prime example. They are summing up in those three pages the two sides of that argument. You know, one of them, fate thinks you know it's destined to happen. There's nothing he can do about it, and and Hal argues with him and says says no, some things may be determined, but no, your will can actually change things. It can even change the past is what he's telling them he can do. Yeah, and, and Hal is is telling Dr. Fate, saying, look, I'm willing to take the risk that I could die here so that you can go back in time and save yourself and your wife. You know, Hal's willing, I mean, part of it's he's willing to make the, the, the sacrifice. The other part is like, I'll figure out a way out of this. You know, I'm Hal Jordan. I always do. I'm a badass. It's kind of what he's thinking. But he's willing to step aside so that Dr. Fate can live. And uh, I think that's really special and touching. Yeah, and that's the thing. And Dr. Fate tells him that he's he's fine with saving Hal and never finding out when and where he and his partner of years dies or how they die. So I, so I got to bring that up for a second here, just for fun. So, all right. So Hal, he's telling Dr. Fate what happens. He says, you and your wife, uh, Dr. Fate loses power and the, the power that was keeping you guys young all those you know decades is gone. And unfortunately, you're, you age very quickly. You become very old, you frail and you die. And, he's, and Hal's saying, you know, it's that they, it, it was never found out why Dr. Fate lost that power. What happened to Dr. Fate that caused them to lose power to become old and then die? He, in fact, he suggests that this shard that's in the future should go back in time because he's suggesting this shard of Dr. Fate's power that never returned home is what ultimately kills Dr. Fate. He's saying that this shard of power, missing the shard of power, was, was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Is that what he said? I, th- I thought he was saying that that shard not being back in the past, Dr. Fate was no longer whole, so he didn't have enough magic to withstand the aging or to remain immortal. Well, I think that's the same thing. I think we're saying the same thing. It just you summed it up probably better. Yeah, I don't think this fate would have killed the other fate. Just him not being there killed. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was trying to say. Okay, I probably okay. didn't put it yet. It was the fact that he didn't return to the past is what may have ultimately killed Doctor Fate. So, uh, and, and Hal saying, you know, maybe this is what it. I would like to bring out Exhibit A, however. As Hal Jordan says, yeah, yeah, Kent, and he's all probably looking sheepishly, kicking the ground a little nervous. Nobody knows what happened to you, Dr. Fader, why you lost power. Except for those of us that read Zero Hour. And remember that Parallax's little lackey, Extant, freaking stole all the energy from Dr. Fate, caused Ken and Elza to get old, which ultimately got them killed. And yeah, Extant was working for Parallax, which was Hal Jordan. So Hal Jordan, who says he doesn't know what happened to Kent, actually he's directly responsible for Kent's death. Just like to point that out. Uh, Yes, you could say that, but... Or you could also (laughs) say... That things like this hurt my head because <laughs> I don't, because basically you have uh, J. Michael Straczynski writing this story about a how that's not the current how in continuity of the books on the shelf, but it's a past how who is interacting with yet another past character in Doctor Fate. But it's being written with Straczynski's continuity that he knows now, which as of right now this isn't the Hal Jordan in current modern day continuity <laughs> who would know this how, Hal Jordan doesn't know. How confused have you made yourself? I feel like this is uh, like a like a bit from Bill and Ted where they're like, no, we can go back in the past and leave the trash can but here now. That's exactly <laughs> what it is, man. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you another thing about this, but look, it, it, this is not a nitpick or anything. It, it kind of is, but it starts out in the quote present, right? So, right. So, so the present is around Justice League International 7 or or sometime shortly after that, right? Yeah, right. So, okay, cool. So that's the present. Well, he goes up into space and he runs into, into Hal Jordan, who is the past Hal Jordan from this story. Right, the Hal Jordan from 1987. In theory, but he's, right. wear, he's wearing an old Hal Jordan Green Lantern costume. You'll notice if on page, what was that, five and six? I think uh, it's right in that range, yeah. Yeah, so if you look on the left-hand side of the page, that's the past past Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing like the jumper vest look that, that he had to start off with in like the first 30 or 40 issues of his, of his book. Okay. And that's supposedly supposed to be 1987. Right? <sighs> okay. So then it goes 
to the Hal Jordan from this book, and he has the what's considered the classic look of Hal Jordan with the shoulders and the diamonds in his armpits and around his crotch. It is kind of different. Isn't this the post-rebirth costume he's wearing? Is it? And so that's the thing. If this is because he doesn't he doesn't have any green trunks. So is this taking place during rebirth? Because rebirth rebirth was what five years, six years earlier. Yeah, so I, I kind of thought that the Hal... All right, so first of all, let's address the costume thing. So I think it's... It, yes, uh, obviously Jesus Sayas got the wrong costume in the 1987 part of the story. But at least he tried to make an effort to distinguish the two costumes to show the different time period, which is pretty cool. Right, right, which I liked, which I liked initially. But when I start, started thinking about stuff, I went back to this and then it started bothering me. But like, I, I love the fact that he shows a time differential with just a changing of the costume. That's all. Yeah. And, and, and my memory was, I thought maybe... I'm wrong, but I thought it was after Rebirth was the first time that Hal didn't have the green briefs anymore. And because and, here he doesn't have green briefs, he's got it, it stops at the like a uh, his belly button with the green, and then it's all black pants. Oh, yeah, he uh, has a black crotch. Yeah, I thought that yeah. I thought that that's when it started. Either way, I, I thought I always assumed this was the Hal Jordan of 2010 when this was published, so that's how I read the story. Oh, okay, well, that's not how I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I mean, now that you mention it, if if that is the case, then it would make sense that he would know unless their memories had been wiped. Right. Or or he's just, you know, you could also think of it as he's fibbing because he feels really guilty instead of going, well, Kent, you kind of died because I went crazy for a few years. Uh, and he's just like, uh, no, no, nobody knows. Nobody knows why you died. It's it's a mystery. We shouldn't even look in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, now, yes, we're nitpicking, but for fun. We obviously love this comic, you guys, but that's what you do when you do a podcast. You're forced to nitpick. Like, I got a, I got a nitpick that's a, a joke more than anything else. So the first two pages of this comic are line for line taken from Justice League International number seven, <laughs> right? It's Dr. Fate talking to uh, the gray man and things like that. Comes literally, I, I double-checked is every it really, line. Is it yeah, really? It's line for line. Now, Jesus says he's drawn it in his own way, but the lines are line for line from Justice League International number uh, seven, other than the caption boxes where Ken Nelson's thinking about stuff. So I did wonder, did, did J. Michael Straczynski get paid for the first two pages since he didn't <laughs> actually write anything? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I'm not going to ask him. Right. So since we're talking, <laughs> since, since right, exactly. Uh, so since we went back and around and around and around about Hal's costume, I got a question for you about his ring. So okay. like Doctor Fate's hiding in Hal's ring, right? So supposedly, using my timeline at least, it's the 1987 ring, and then it's in the year 2010, right? So unless I'm mistaken, through a lot of whole stuff that had happened in between there, Hal's not even wearing the same ring anymore, is he? Like I think it's been destroyed and recreated a thousand times. Well, that, that that's the question. I mean, I, as far as continuity wise what's going on you know in the early comics the rings were indestructible but later on they started breaking rings or showing rings that can rings can be broken but it was considered just like a cop damaging his his service weapon you know he would just get another from Mm -hmm. or whatever but i'm guessing it could be the same ring i mean we'd probably have to ask one of the lantern cast guys or something like that but i'm assuming it could still be the same ring even if it had been broken before it could be reforged and still yeah. be the same ring and you know dr fate's magic so you know magic and comic rules I, maybe you know dr fate made what a horcrux but maybe it's a it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a better kind of horcrux and it and it follows Hal and not just what ring he's wearing i don't know yeah that worked. I, I can get behind all that. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, the Green Lantern stuff's magic anyway, for the most part, right? I mean, in the, in essence, it's science magic. And then Dr. Fate. So you can just hand wave it away and go, well, they recreated Hal's ring. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go with that or either Kent's jumping ring, ring to ring following Hal. <laughs> so what else you got? One thing that stuck out to me was just the characterization of, of Hal in this thing. Like when he first gets attacked by these mechanical creatures that were still activated on this dead world mm-hmm. and, and he's dying of poison, you know, he's he's basically on a world by himself and he and he's, he's thinking to himself, he doesn't really mind dying as long as it's for the greater good and he's, you know, saving somebody or anything. He even makes a joke about uh, Starro. He says he, w- he would even accept dying to... Starro, the big honking interstellar starfish. <laughs> but this is key, key though. He says he doesn't want to die by accident and he doesn't want to die stupidly, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, nobody really wants to die stupidly, you know, in a Darwin accident or whatever the hell. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, for, for him to say that he doesn't 
want to die stupidly. I think he's saying he wants to die for a reason. I mean, and that's kind of a pilot's mentality. You know, yeah. you, you want to die for a good cause. You want your death to actually mean something. And I think he thinks that all the time while he's patrolling space or, or even patrolling the new and improved Coast City or whatever, you know. That's a really good connection between the pilot mentality and what he's saying. Yeah, that may have been what JMS was thinking of, too. That would make sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and I give uh, Jeff Johns crap all the time, but Jeff Johns really brought that home when he did Rebirth and he, you know, focused in on him being a pilot and what it means to be a pilot and to be not only a pilot, but the son of a pilot, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, all that kind of stuff. He brought that to the forefront of Hal's character and gave him a little bit more depth. I, I will not disagree. So um, I thought there was something funny funny in here where um, Hal isn't really surprised that there, that fate's there with him all of a sudden, even though fate's dead. What he he first concerns him with is, yeah, but how did you get into the ring in the first place? He's first thinking about defense. You know, he's a space cop. He wants to know how fate managed to get get in his ring. And fate says, basically tells him, uh, I'm yellow, duh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what sells it is Jesus Seuss's art because it's a three panel thing. And Hal asks the question. The next panel silent. And, yeah. and Dr. Fate's just yeah. staring at Hal. And then the third panel, Dr. Fate kind of cocks his head like a dog does when you when you say his name or something. Yeah. And he's like, I understand you have a slight problem with yellow. And it's just like, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And Hal blames it on the fever that he has. He says he's, he's just not thinking well. Yeah. Right. It's, that is a great set of panels. I love it. Yeah, but it, it, it shows humanity. And what, you know, some people have argued Hal doesn't show a lot of humanity or he's boring or whatever. But those three panels show humanity in both of those characters. I mean, Dr. Fate, it's hard to show humanity in with him behind that mask all the time. And, and you know, that comes up later when he takes the mask off. But here, that little cock to the side gives him humanity. I got to jump on what you just said about the humanity aspect because it's it's there for both of them. Because along the conversation, when Hal's pleading with Doctor Fate to go back in time and save himself, Hal takes his mask off. You know, yeah. it, it, there's no there's no reason for him to do that other than because he wants to to, to seem more human to talk to Doctor Fate. And then a little bit later, and, and I'm sure it's a parallel on purpose. Doctor Fate takes the helmet off and he looks at Hal, you know, with with Kent Nelson's face and tells an, a very human type of story about a little ant. So I, I love that sort of, as you said, humanity in them looking face to face without their masks. Oh yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, he he takes his helmet off later. Uh, you know, after Hal has already taken off his mask just as a, as a parallel as the end of that conversation because that's when he had made the decision that he's decided to save Hal instead mm-hmm. of instead of going back and he and he takes the mask off and I think it, it, there's a second purpose to that is he um is to show him because everybody knows that when you have on the helmet of Naboo, you're fighting Naboo or you are Naboo. He's letting him know, he's letting Hal know before he sends him off that I'm making this choice. Kent Nelson, not not Dr. Fate's not, not controlling me, you know, like he has in the past, but, but this is Kent's and Dr. Fate's decision that we're making right now with our life and, and saving Hal, so... It's really painful for me to admit, but that's a really good observation that I didn't pick up on. That's really clever. You maybe you read that in a book or something. Okay. No, I, no, or I could have just been observant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do have an, another thing. Uh, we could talk about page page sixteen through eighteen. Their their argument with each other forever. Yeah, but, we really uh, could. You know, but that is my favorite moment of the of the story. It's yes, it's heavy dialogue, and I think I already said this before. But just the conversation that they have, I've already read it like ten times, and every time you read it, you get a little little something extra out of it. Mm-hmm. So. If if we were doing awards like I do on some of my other shows, I would agree. Page sixteen through eighteen would win the best part of the story, no doubt about it. Both of us are on the same page. Well, yeah, and a close second is that very last page, which I think is just mm. absolutely beautiful. Just just the writing and the image. Mm-hmm. Of of Doctor Fate heading back to Earth or whatever is just awesome. But one thing, you know, they're arguing about time at one point, and they're talking basically like uh, the past is written in stone. Mm-hmm. But this was, uh, I guess, at this point, they're writing Flashpoint. So <laughs> Flashpoint. Okay, so Flashpoint's about one year in their future. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but but right now they're 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 talking about how the past is written in stone and. Can't do anything to save Kent in the past, but whatever. We'll we'll, we'll make Aquaman and Wonder Woman get married. So, <laughs> <whatever>. so 
<laughs> okay, I see where you're going with that. All right. But, but like I said, that that final page is really the icing. I mean, this this whole story is great. That final page, I mean, and it gives that message of joy. I think you mentioned mentioned mm-hmm. before. I mean, it, 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 he gives this whole story about living your life to the fullest, living living in the now. You know, our days may be numbered and all that kind of stuff. But if you if you take time right now uh, and he says, I live today, I die tomorrow and in between joy, not Mm. a bad deal, really, if you think about it, not bad at all. You know, it just it just puts a great little underline on this whole story right there. It does. And, you know, being completely self-absorbed, it's the perfect thing for this show because this show is all about finding joy. And, you know, the last line of the book is, or last couple lines of the book is about finding joy by living for today. Yeah. Wow. Wait, wait, this this podcast is about finding joy? Well, not this month because I invited you. Oh, uh, but I, th- I, th- I thought you were doing a new Hal Jordan podcast on the network. I thought, <laughs> I thought this was episode one. <laughs> Welcome to the boring hour. <laughs> We'd have to talk like we were on NPR then. Oh, my Welcome. gosh. Welcome to the Hal Jordan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, about all that dialogue and stuff like that you said at the end, you know, I got, and I said this on the Aquaman and Firestorm episode last week, folks. Uh, JMS's dialogue and caption boxes, they're true. Truly, beautifully written. I, I struggled to come up with ways to say it, but like some phrases are just so captivating and evocative. The language he uses, like the best description I can use, it, it's almost lyrical. It, it's just really something to behold. If you haven't read this issue, I highly recommend you dig it out. Uh, either get out of your collection, get it out of buy a back issue, or it's on DC Infinite. Uh, if you have the the, the all, you know the subscription platform, it's on there too. Really, really excellent, and highly recommend you read it. I agree. <laughs> I just had one little note about Green Lantern and or yeah, let's just call him Green Lantern because he's the only one uh, about Green Lantern oh. and Doctor Fate being good friends. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it goes. It's around that part. I forget where it is. Where Hal Jordan is talking about how everybody was sad when they died and because they lost a friend rather than a colleague or something, something along those lines. But um, I started thinking about it, and I don't really remember them interacting, the two of them, a lot. So I guess it was, you know, off-panel or whatever. But then I started thinking. I'm like, they've known each other since the first JLA-JSA team-up. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, probably behind the scenes, behind the panels, in between the issues stuff where, you know, and both of them could travel back and forth. You know, who knows if, if they didn't have – he and Kent had – poker night or something but but (laughs) regardless even if they were just colleagues is what i'm getting at they they've been hanging out with each other since that first team up or you know periodically at least once a year i love the idea of them being friends because like you said there's i can't think of anything in the past that demonstrates it but the minute you say it my brain's filling in the gaps you know they're both regular guys who were handed uh, essentially a weapon or a tool that had been around for a long time. They both had to take on sort of a responsibility, a role, a job almost of protecting, you know, in Kent's state, it's uh, protecting the magical world. In Hal's space, you know, it's Space Cop. They both had to take those roles on. Uh, they both are you know, just, again, regular guys who were thrust into this situation. And I think that is pretty cool. And I can just imagine a lot of conversation. Again, the contrast of science and magic, too. I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff. My brain just automatically starts filling in that never happened. But it's like, wow, okay, with just a couple of lines, you've created this friendship in my head that should have existed. Oh, yeah. And and who's to, who's to say that they weren't, you know, around this time? Or, you know, in the past, you know, hanging out at the JLA watchtower or the, the satellite, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe they were having some beers over poker and, you know, complain about Enza and Carol, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and Guy Gardner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I, I like to think about stuff like that. And that's another key with this story. It's such a good story. And you connect so well with both of the characters. Yeah, I mean, both of them. I mean, it's not like it's Hal's book or, or a Dr. Fate book. He d- has great character moments for both of them. And whenever mm-hmm. you have a good character piece like that, that's the reason fan fiction happens. And you start thinking about, you know, the behind the scenes of them. What did, what did they get each other for Christmas, you know, <laughs> in, in 1987 or whatever. You think about stuff like that, and that's because the characters, and this was just one story. This wasn't a whole series of these two. Right. It wasn't like we we read, you know, 72 issues of the of the, the Kent and Hal book, you know, <laughs> it, 
this was just one story and it, and it has us thinking, thinking in those directions. 22 pages. That's all it was. And, you know, we're, we're talking about the writing. I definitely want to give credit to the art, though, too. I mean, Jesus says this art is stunning. Every page is gorgeous. The storytelling is flawless. The, the panel design the, is gorgeous. The coloring is beautiful. Uh, Hal and, and Kent both look totally badass in, in whichever era they're in. And with, with Kent, it's so important to tell so much of his emotions with his body language, right? Because you're not getting the face. And he does that with the body language. You can tell what's going on with Kent all the time, the way he crooks his head, which direction it is, whether it's up or down or left or right, his hand gestures. So huge credit to the art as well, because that that's part of the component that makes this such a memorable story. So absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. When it comes to art with drawn art, I just, you know, I'm kind of a Philistine. Yes, I can recognize a George Perez. I can recognize early and late Gil Kane. But when it comes to, you know, saying, hey, this anchor didn't draw this battle scene right and messed up the artist's interpretation, stuff like that, I don't get that. But I can look at this and tell this is well drawn. I mean, it, it's pretty to look at. One, which, you know, that's superficial. I, I like looking at pretty things. You know. <laughs> Shout out to my wife there. Hope you're listening, babe. Aww. She's not listening. Um, no, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> I've met her. She's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> but but like I said, that is, is pretty to look at. And li- like you were saying, I mean, the, the composition is just, it flows from page, page to page, the gestures of everybody. I love how it starts out. It doesn't start off with the Keith Giffen uh, nine-panel grid, but it's a six-panel grid on the very first page. Mm-hmm. But the way it's done, you know, so evenly spaced and stuff, it immediately makes you think of Justice League International. You know it really I mean? does. Yeah, it really does. And then you turn the page and it flows right into panels being off, kind of inset and you know, there, there's a couple where, where stuff's flowing from one panel to another, where it looks like Hal's flying from one panel to another, you know, in between panels, stuff like that. All those all those kind of tricks that they do, but not everybody can pull that junk off. Not everybody can pull off, like, this page. Uh, I'm looking at the physical copy, and there are no page numbers. But there's this page right. where fate has made his made his determination. He's made his decision that, that he's going to send Hal back, and he starts floating over how kind of menacingly that's a beautiful dang page you know where he says i will do as i must and he's and he tells him silence lantern you know which of mm-hmm. course he calls him lantern he doesn't call him how because one he's you know trying to present that he's made a decision that he's the authority and two he he recognizes that that hal is the only lantern too so. yeah otherwise he would have called him how yeah oh my gosh <laughs> A quick shout out of the coloring on that page. Every time Dr. Fate gets close to Hal, you can actually see the green reflection in the shiny helmet, which like that's what a touch that <laughs> is. Ah, so, so good. So the last thing I think I want to say about the issue is that, you know, every time you have a comic book team up, right, that where you have two primary characters that are advertised as co-starring in the issue, it's a delicate balance to make sure both characters get enough of a spotlight. Because sometimes you read something, you know, like a Marvel team up or whatever, you're like, okay, that was really a Spider-Man comic and Daredevil happened to be in it, you know, or vice versa or whatever. In this case, I really felt like this was the perfect balance between a Hal story and a Dr. Fate story. Like, no one side got more oomph than the other. I really feel like this was a joint production. Oh, yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the not only the artist drawing them, but the writer, too. I mean, heck, I think these two guys, they would give equal treatment if it was, you know, Green Lantern and the Red Bee. It would be an equal, you know, although, you know, there's really no equal there, you know. Right, to the Red Bee. I mean, he is <laughs> the single greatest character find of all time, yeah. and I will fight anyone on that. <laughs> well, you know, if, if he were, the, if he were the, the Yellow Jacket or something, how might have a problem with him, but, you know. Ah, oh, thump. But no, but no, no. Seriously, seriously though, he, he what he could do is he could he could take two characters from wherever and 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 it would be interesting. Yeah, so it's it's a great one. So, folks, again, go out check it out on DC Infinite. It's a great story. And then then go out and listen to the rest of the podcast participating in JL May. Remember, you can find him using the hashtag JL May twenty twenty three. I'll also put links in the show notes to those shows. Go out and check them all out. A lot of great people creating a lot of great audio for you to consume and a lot of fun celebrating this awesome Brave and the Bold series. Well, Keith, thank you so much for appearing in this episode of Once Upon a Geek and for sharing your love of Green Lantern. This has been a real blast, buddy. Well, thanks for having me, Shag. I always appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can do it again and not wait three or four years in between. (laughs) Just to pull back the curtain a bit, folks, the time you're hearing this, one month from when this comes out, Keith and I are actually going to be in the same room without a restraining order. So Mm. I'm excited. 
but there will be restraints. <laughs> no, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> anyway, Keith, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find more of you? Well, I mean, I really don't know that why anyone would want to find more of me, but... Uh, I'll but, co-sign you know, that. <laughs> I'm I'm on Facebook, you know, like all all the old guys, and um, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, uh, KGB UNC. But don't go searching for me on Twitter. I vomit a lot of stuff on there. Unless you're searching for uh, sports and comics, that's that's my other Twitter handle. It is very dormant right now, just because uh, I've been trying to get ducks in a row for probably about ten years. Uh, to you know, who knows? Maybe one of my daughters will post something there at some point. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, you can also find Keith on some back episodes of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can find him on some back episodes over at Rolled Spine. Uh, lots of places to find Keith and realize that he's a crazy man. So, Yeah, come see me sometime. <laughs> well, seriously, Keith, thanks from the bottom of my heart for being here, buddy. I'm really glad we got you on the show. Oh, thumbs up don't work. I was giving you a thumbs up. Sorry. Right. Uh, on an audio medium. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll come back next time when we cover another topic that brings us joy. And what will that topic be? Well, sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Keith. And remember, life is short. Focus on the positive. Find, find your, your joy. joy.